Hello there! This show contains material which a truly free society would neither fear nor suppress. The language and concepts contained herein will not cause eternal torment in the place where the guy with the horns and pointed stick conducts his business. Hello, world. Hi. This is Rich. You don't have to call me world. Well, you've gotten a little larger this winter. Your winter weight's up a little bit. Not globular, though. <laughs> You're a planet. <laughs> anyway, this is Rich Wilgus. John Tellerico. And you are listening to BiddyCast. Nah. The joke is getting real old, man. No, but it's been this week in something. This time it's BiddyCast. Yeah. And why is this show BiddyCast today? Well, we've got to talk about the uh, the show that we saw on Friday. We love the biddies. Yeah, biddies rule. They came to town. Yeah, unfortunately, the town didn't come to see them. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just, I don't even know what to say about that, except that if you really want America to respond, you should open a store that sells donuts and cigarettes. I mean... <laughs> Deep fried. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, here here's this band with world-class chops and songwriting uh, abilities, and they're, they're pretty easy on the eyes. and Great sense of humor. They're amazing. They're sweet. They're smart. They've got great senses of humor, and, and I think there was about 20 people there. Max and some of them were the SUNY employees. I think the the lunchroom employees. Yeah, there was no promotion whatsoever by by SUNY IT, and I don't know. I, I talked to Rich about this before the show, and I'm just embarrassed sometimes by the the area that we live in. It it has this small town mindset, and sometimes it just doesn't know how it's hurting itself. I asked out loud how many students there were on campus, and what was the number? Twelve or seventeen hundred or something. Yeah. What are they doing on a? They all don't have money to go out drinking on that this, these Fridays, right? I mean, what the heck are they doing? Just sitting up IMing in their rooms, uh, downloading MP3s and burning CDs? What, what are they doing? <laughs> I don't know. They're doing IT things. They have to be really important. But I'm just kind of embarrassed, and I'm especially embarrassed because of the, you know, we we lobbied to get the biddies up here. And, and, uh, and we did. I, I felt that, you know, we didn't do them justice. I agree with you completely. And I talked about it with Leanne a little bit and she was cool with it. I mean, she said, you know what, we're going to have fun playing for you guys and it's going to be a great time. So just enjoy the show, you know, and we did. did, It was phenomenal. My, the only thing I regret is that they didn't play more. I wanted more. Are you listening, biddies? More. They left you wanting more. They left, yeah. And I know that's the job of every, you know, entertainer. You're supposed to leave them wanting more, but they could have done 20 more songs and I would have wanted more. Well, because you're insatiable. <laughs> I think that's the word. I think you agree with me on this. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that they're they're a great band, and, and I'm always happy to see a great band, especially them. And if they come back into our uh, neck of the woods, I'm our definitely realm, there. Yep. Our sphere. I'm going to work hard to try to get them booked into that museum that won't sell me concerts in the court tickets on movie night. Yep. I'm going to try to get them booked in there for concerts in the court, actually. So, ladies... Please send me a DVD to give to Mr. B. Mortis at MWPAI.org. <laughs> and and they definitely do promotion. Yeah, the Monstitute. Well, they don't even need to promote because all the members just go to those things. They right. have a built-in audience. If you're a member, you get the thing in the mail listing upcoming events, and those include films and any art uh, history talks and things like that are going on. And then, of course, uh, when the concerts in the court are happening, they get the front page of their sort of newspaper-sized flyer that you get once a month. So the biddies would get the heck promoted out of them. Right. And aren't they now affiliated with the Pratt Institute? 
Yeah, Pratt has a satellite school actually at Munson. Okay. They have some new buildings there. And it, speaking of another built-in audience, you right. know, at the movies on Fridays when I typically go, um, you do see a lot of college-age kids there because there's housing all around the museum. The Munstitute bought a bunch of buildings and converted them into housing for the students, and you do see a lot of them at the uh, at the movie events. So guaranteed, if the Biddies played at concerts in the court, they'd have an audience, and I'd be there. Yeah, and we're going to do everything we can to support the biddies. And they also have another cause that they're they're working towards, and it's uh, raising money for MS. And mm-hmm. I got a little promo I'm going to play. Play it. This is Amanda Monaco from the Lascivious Biddies and Biddy Cast. In January 2005, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, an autoimmune disease of the central nervous system. Multiple sclerosis can create trouble walking, vision loss, numbness, and loss of cognitive function, among other things. Thankfully, I'm doing very well and living my life for the most part as I always have, but there are many others who are less fortunate than I. So please join the Biddies in our team, Team Biddy, on April 23rd at New York City's South Street Seaport for the MS Walk, New York City, 2006. Go to BiddyCast.com, B-I-D-D-Y-C-A-S-T, to join the team or make a donation through Team Biddy. Our goal is to raise $10,000 for MS research, and we're sure we can do it with your help. 100% of the proceeds go to research programs and community support for people with MS. Thanks. You're welcome. That song's called Betty. Yeah, good tune. They played it there last night. They or opened last it. Night. It was uh, Friday. It's not Biddy. It's Betty. Betty. So, yeah, Amanda Monaco uh, was diagnosed, they said, like a year ago with MS, and it's it's not good. Definitely not Let's good. Let's get this especially, cured. Especially if you're a musician and, and need your chops. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the, the strange irony is that the food allergy that I call a food allergy is not a food allergy. It's an autoimmune disease also, except her immune system chooses to attack her nervous system, and my immune system chooses to attack my GI tract when in the, you know, the presence of gluten is found. So, you know, we sort of have uh, diseases that are cousins to one another. You're almost related. We're almost, I'm almost related to Amanda through Disease. autoimmune <laughs> disorders. Yeah, hers is much worse, though. I mean, that's that's far worse than... But having one autoimmune disease often triggers and leads to others. So, I mean, it's a very conceivable thing that I could, you know, in the future be diagnosed with MS or lupus or something like that. But, you know, I'm not going to not going to uh, not going to dwell on it. Let's just hope it doesn't happen. Yeah. Well, and we should all do our part. And uh, if you've got any money, extra money, disposable income, even if you don't, I think it's worth uh, donating a few bucks. I did. Me too. I went over there and actually donated to Saskia's page because her number oh, was her number was kind of lagging behind everybody else's, <laughs> and there was a certain plateau she was below that I wanted to see her get to. So I threw the exact amount required to get her to that plateau there, and I put a little um, a dedication up there too. I've got this sneaking suspicion that all the money's going to the same place, so I just put it to the top one. Yeah. Well, I was just looking at everybody's numbers, you know, and <laughs> I was just trying to help out with her self esteem a little bit. All right. You know, I'm changing my name. To what? I'm going to change it to <laughs> Amankia Westman. What? You know, like Amankia would be Amanda and Saskia. Uh, and Westman is Westover and Rodman. You get it? It's, I'm, I took all four of their names. You're that, completely out of your mind. That's how much I love the biddies. I'm changing my name to Amankia Westman. Oh, man. You can't be a biddy. Oh, I so want to be a biddy, though, too. But I don't, I'm not the right gender, I don't think, to, to make the band. I think that you've got a better chance of being a pepper than a bitty. 
A pepper? Yeah, you know, be a pepper. Oh, yeah, but I don't drink soda. Anyway, the biddies were phenomenal. We love the biddies. Give money to MS. We're going to try to get them up here again. In summary. <laughs> Thank you. That's the show. Good night. <laughs> now we've got tunes. We do have a tune. And this, what are we playing? We're playing a, a, a classical guitar piece by my friend William Gangle. I don't know. Long story with William. Very, very amazing classical guitarist. And uh, the tune we're going to play for you, his first recording ever, actually, this is. Really? Yeah, he's never made a recording before. And what is he playing here? Let's see. He's playing Gavats 1 and 2 in Rondo from the third lute suite by J.S. Bach. And this is BWV listing 995. I so feel like I'm on public radio right now. It's great. <laughs> Please donate to the PBS fund. That's right. Anyway, let's check it out. Thank you, William. Now that he's gotten that out of the way, he can record more. Mr. Playing the Batch Tune, one of my favorite Bach pieces. He's playing a steel string. Most of the guys play nylon for classical, but there was a, it was a major career choice for him, apparently. He decided he wanted to go over to steel string and play the classical stuff. It's too bad he didn't use the bottleneck slide. Down, 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 Didn't Bach, Bach do blues? Uh, blues? 
He was a he, he was a famous blues guy. He did. He he, he had was a lot actually of trouble a, in his life. I think he had a woman that left him. Well, he actually was a black man who lived from Mississippi. <laughs> it's not commonly known, but that's actually box a true story. It's 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 typically ignored by the Hollywood. You know, when they're looking for a story. That was Redbone Bach. That wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't JS Bach. I'm thinking of a different Bach. So <laughs> anyway, it was. Ah, yeah, yeah. So we've got a topic that is directly inspired by our last program. Actually, the last program and the Biddy Show. Yes, actually. Indirectly. Should we set it up a little bit for our listeners here? Well, and and there's a couple of things that that are inspiring this. It's not just one person or one event. It's actually a few events that happened to me. Um, One of them had to do with a debate that we had on the last show about uh, analog and digital media. And the other was um, I posted on a couple of, or on a blog uh, about some some religious uh, ramblings, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I've noticed that in in all three of these instances, people have tied their emotions to the debate, and and I guess what we want to talk about here is why does debate have to necessarily mean that you're attacking someone personally, or why is it taken that way? And I I think that we can sit down, have a discussion, or through email or on a website or even on a podcast, talk about things, disagree about things, express our opinions, but not necessarily attack the other person or the, the other person feeling like they're attacked. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, we have no control over how someone responds to what we say. Well, without so, medication. <laughs> so the person who is feeling a particular way about a particular statement we make, provided the statement wasn't meant to be hurtful. I mean, if you're just out and out calling somebody a you know, blah, 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 blah to hurt their feelings, that's one thing. But I find that so many people have their self-worth tied to their opinions, you know, and therefore when their opinion is attacked, they are attacked. And it's it's like that's bad, really. I mean, yeah, because then you're how can you conduct how can you go through life like that? I mean, I love having my opinions attacked because it makes me rethink things. You know, I think it's and you very should valuable. because most of them are invalid. <laughs> No, I, I think that what we want to—that was a nice finger movement. There. <laughs> Mostly, what we want to say that... is not aware of because we don't do a video podcast. John's typically not wearing pants, and Rich is usually flipping them off. That's right. No, but what we want to say though is that we're not—we're not saying that. Yeah, people out there are ninnies, and and we can say whatever we want. If we say something and and it's taken as an insult, that's not how it's meant. On this show, we're talking about things and and discussing things and debating things. Because we enjoy it. I mean, I, I enjoy the process. I've taken lots of philosophy classes. And, and the whole logical debate thing is, is fun to me. It's a mental exercise. I don't take any of it personally unless someone starts calling me names. And I maybe wrongly assume that other people are doing the same thing, not taking it personally. They're just talking about their opinions and they can hold their opinions. And I, I respect their opinions and I respectfully disagree with most of them. <laughs> Right. And, you know, I will go so far as to admit that you and I did employ a lot of sarcasm on the last show to make our point. I mean, it was pretty dripping with sarcasm at times. I mean, well, you know, you got to do you what you got to do. You know, we got ratings. You could have. <laughs> I know. It's uh, you, you, if you stepped in it, you might have fallen over. But it was so dripping with sarcasm. But, you know, it was, it was certainly never meant to be hurtful. And again, um, if you have opinions and you're proud of, proud of them and you're putting them out there into the universe, you especially if they're strong opinions, you have to expect that they're going to be challenged every once in a while. Yeah, and if you're bringing them up in front of guys who do a podcast, you have to expect it's going to show up on the air. Or thank God we didn't have a camera at SUNY or we <laughs> put them on the air. And you know, to actually to explain a little bit more about what happened, the person who was the inspiration for that whole discussion was at the Biddy Show. 
mm-hmm. and he talked to us about you know how he felt about the show. And I feel bad that he felt hurt that he was being attacked, but it was totally not an attack on him. No, not at all. It was fuel for our discussion, and I thought it was great. It was exactly yeah. And again, we extend to him the um, the option of coming on the show and, and talking about it with us, and hopefully he'll change his mind. We we talked to him. Talked to him about that at the the Biddy show, and he he declined. But you know, maybe we can get him liquored up and get him on here or something. You know, <laughs> Shanghai him, throw him in a bucket. <laughs> well, I don't even know what that means. You know, knock him over, put oh, him in a bucket, yeah. bring him over. We'll 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 tie his wrists and angle together and string him up on one of those poles and like. Oh, and of I, course, I, you know, threatening someone is not going to help him get him <laughs> no, on the show. No, we're not <laughs> really gonna do anything to this fine upstanding citizen of the world especially if he is helping us get fine acts up in central new york that's right yeah he was uh partly responsible for uh, the biddies being here so basically it's his fault <laughs> now you're being mean <laughs> assigning fault <laughs> okay i didn't mean anything by it but um yeah so you know we still want to get you on the show and we would be happy to talk about this this analog well, whatever you want to call it. It wasn't really an analog versus digital debate, as some people put it. It was just a, the validity of modern mediums versus old ones or something. Yeah, and, and here's what I'm going to do. He, While he may not want to be on the show, he did say that he did have an argument that we didn't bring up. Mm-hmm. Of, course, I was gonna of course, I wasn't part of that thing. argument. So, And he brought up the fact that uh, as far as a reason to use digital is, is the cost factor. Doing uh, analog film, analog audio is definitely more expensive in many cases, and you can get digital equipment. Once you've got the digital equipment, the the cost factor after that is pretty low. And I can understand if someone has a limited budget going to digital for that reason, but I think our, our arguments still hold up that it might not be the most appropriate medium for the project. And I'm going to actually attack the cost aspect of it, too. I work in a sales office. And uh, the sales manager of that office is always torturing our poor salespeople, making them listen to some of these sales guru tapes and stuff in sales meetings. And there are some some things of value in there. And every once in a while, I sit in on these meetings. And, did you ever and wake up in a cold sweat after listening to them? I did. I did. And I didn't. Wait a minute. <laughs> no. But, right. Okay. So we're listening to Brian Tracy. He's this incredible sales guru, you know, and he's very successful in business. And he's done very well for himself. And a lot of the things he has to say are very valid. But he was directly addressing closing sales or something on one of these tapes and or or the, the or the counter arguments people would have for not wanting to buy your product if if in other words, if they're not using your product now, but you're trying to convince them to use your product, they'll always come back with price as an objection. And this Brian Tracy guy said, "Come on, look, we all know that price is never the reason somebody doesn't buy something. It's because they don't want to buy it, not because they can't afford it. And the example that Brian Tracy gave was, he pointed. He was doing a seminar in front of a live audience. We were listening to a live recording of one of his seminars. So he said, okay, I want every one of you to think about all of the possessions you've bought recently and tell me if you bought them because they were the least expensive of all the options. And nobody in the room could say, yes, I bought this because it was the cheapest one. And so cost is is often not a factor for a lot of people. But anyway, I think the cost issue kind of fell fell into the uh, convenience issue as well. I mean, I see well, that as a kind of convenience. And and to sort of defend the position of cost, though, I can see where you're an artist and... You're starving. You, you're starving. <laughs> well, let, maybe not starving, but you've got a limited budget. 
And it's not just a, you know, I've got a choice of one VCR over the, the other or one car over the other, and it's a one-time purchase. If I'm looking at, I've got a budget over the course of several months, or if I'm working on a project and that project has a limited budget, and I've got maybe cast to pay, I've got catering to do or something like that for if you're talking film or video, you know, you really do have to think about how can you cut some budget. And maybe doing it on digital is the only way that you can get your budget and get your project done. It might be a non-starter if you can't pay for the film. You can't pay for the, the developing. But it still may be something that ultimately hurts the quality of the end product. And, yeah, cost is not invalid. I'm, I'm certainly not invalidating cost. But, well, there you go. And I there think you we, have it. I think we properly addressed it. I actually brought a, a roll of two-inch analog tape to hit John with because it's big, clunky, and heavy. What are your what are your feelings and observations about analog tape now that you've actually fondled one? It is big, clunky, and heavy. I think there's an odor too. <laughs> yeah, it has a certain mylar coated with iron odor to it. Yeah, I don't want that thing in my house. Get it out. <laughs> it's like a gigantic paperweight. It was actually earmarked for a project that I was supposed <laughs> to do like two years ago that never happened. So you know what I'm gonna do with this spool? I think I'm gonna record the biddies. I'm gonna invite them to the analog studio and record them whether they want to do it or not. <laughs> I'm gonna make them do it. You're gonna put them in the van, you're gonna seal it up. Shanghai them. Yep. And that exactly. Would, and that would be really wrong, Rich. I know it would be wrong. So as far as that whole debate thing, uh, in conclusion, if we offended, I'm sorry. I don't know about Rich. We, we, but there was no, no intent to we attack come in peace. anyone. There was you no know, intent whatsoever to attack. We're, we're like most aliens that visit Earth. We come in peace. Take me to your leader. <laughs> we'll attack him. <laughs> anyway, we're into more tunage already? Or do you want to talk about that TV show first? Nah, let's do the tunes. All right, we're going to do a tune. This is um, Miguel Pico, my friend, nylon string classical guitarist. We've played him a couple times before. And I think on this song, he's going to be playing the GE Soft White Lightbulb song. Yeah. Or so. the, for those who know it by its real name, it's it's Paco Bell's Canon in D. Yeah, some marriages take place with this thing. Very popular.
And there you have it. How long was that? That was like nine minutes, I think. Yeah. I made a pizza actually when uh, when that song was playing. We were a little bit hungry, so. Well, it's a good thing I had that time to do my taxes. <laughs> <laughs> we, of course, kid Mister Patchell Bell. No, that was uh, that was a good good arrangement. It's like the flamenco wedding. Exactly. That was like the the exactly. It was the flamenco wedding version of Pachelbel's Kennedy, and that was actually the the main reason I wanted to play. You don't often hear an arrangement of that. Actually, I've never heard an arrangement of that tune like that. I concur. <laughs> Dramatic pause, yeah. which I'll edit out. <laughs> so there's uh, actually another tie-in, another segue into to what we were we were talking about. Um, the biddies, well, and how fabulous they are. Well, it wasn't. I'll say it again. Yeah, they're fabulous. But it, this isn't what I'm talking about. Uh, we talked about... Um, How does this relate to the biddies? I mean, that's what this whole show's about. <laughs> it's not all about the biddies, Rich. Oh, I beg to differ. Remember when we had that discussion with Pete about uh, limitations in art and how it actually will... will uh, it'll help a project. It'll actually force you to uh, push against those walls. I'll use Pete's analogy there. Push against those walls and, and you've got some traction. Well... I I am sort of late on the the bandwagon here, but I uh, I got the DVD of the television show Firefly. Now you know here's my geek moment. I'm a sci-fi fan. I watch uh, sci-fi television shows. This is great because it's not just a sci-fi show. It's it's more of a character-driven kind of show. It's not laden with with uh, he's Rich is giving me this smirk. It's not laden with this. Uh, 
I don't know, reliance on special effects. And uh, the dialogue is just is just great. And the interactions between the characters is just great, unlike certain wars that are done amongst stars. Okay. <laughs> Does this have anything to do with the biddies? <laughs> That's why you're smirking. <laughs> they may have been on an episode. They did the theme something? <laughs> no, nothing, Rich. Oh, I'll smack you on after the show. Anyways... The, the reason why I bring this up in, in context of uh, limitations is it's not a, a huge budget show. And I think that what they've done is they've taken a small budget and made one of the best sci-fi shows I've ever seen. And I know people will agree with me because they actually thought it was... Because good, of their geeks, too. Because they're geeks, too. And they must agree with me. That's my way. What, what were we talking about before the, the song? Anyways, um, in this in this show, uh, it's, it's about... The biddies. These, the, <laughs> Stop! It's about it's about these smugglers, of course, space smugglers. It's a it's a typical theme. But uh, you're throwing me off with the bitty thing. <laughs> I'm going to start this whole segment all over again. Continue. <sighs> Killing me. So it's about space smugglers. I saw the pilot. I think a couple years ago. Yeah, and I seem to recall that the Ron Glass was in it, the guy Ron from Barney Glass. Miller of all things. Yes, and he he plays a uh, a priest of sorts, a monk of sorts, and uh, yeah, I mean some of these themes they're all over the the uh, the Star Wars thing too. You've got guys wearing monk robes. He wasn't wearing a monk robe. He's more of a priest kind of garb guy. But anyways, I mean, there, this show got so much of a following after it was canceled in one season. It was, it was on Fox a few years back. And right. It was canceled, never got picked up afterwards. And it had such a following that they made it into a, a major motion picture, which when I, and I actually saw the motion picture first before seeing the series, one of the best sci-fi movies I've seen, period, bar none. So I had to go back and watch the series. And a lot of the, sh- a lot of the movie is making more sense to me now that I'm three episodes in. So highly recommend it. Um, again, I'm I'm slow to get on the bandwagon here. Probably uh, everyone out there is saying, "Yeah, I've been watching Fire, Firefly, or I already saw it," except for Rich. Um, so you know, forgive my uh, slowness on this one. But yes, definitely rent it if you can. I seem to recall some interesting social phenomenon about the show, and I don't mean the effect it had on people after watching it. I mean, within the show itself, I seem to recall there being like prostitutes and they had a very high social standing in the community in much the opposite of, for example, the way it might be in real life now. Yeah. It's, it's got like a wild west feel to it as well. I mean, yeah. it, really it, it is Kevin Klein in it. No, no, really it is. It is mostly like a Western within space. A wagon train to the stars, uh, I think is what Mr. Roddenberry once said. Strangely enough, even one of the, the first episodes, I think it was the second one, they do a train heist. I saw that, actually. Did you? Now, yeah, I think I probably saw that, too, because I remember the, the ship flying above the train and them doing some sort of heist thing. I don't know. It's a long time ago. I mean, you know, I'm going to be honest. The, the thing that kind of turned me off from it was that Joss Whedon guy, because I'm not a huge fan. <laughs> Of Joss Whedon? Yeah. The whole Buffy thing really didn't do it for me, and the people kind of took the Buffy thing way over the top, the fans who watched it, you know? Well, I have to admit that I wasn't really a big fan of Buffy either. Right. But, but I, I tend to... I have a really bad habit of, of shying away from stuff that lots of people are bragging about and liking. You know, I'm like, oh, geez, I don't want to watch that. How good could it be? Everybody likes it, you know? So I, 
I, I've in by everybody, I mean the people in my circles, you know, who would like that kind of thing anyway. So it's really not everyone. I mean, if it was everyone, it wouldn't have got canceled, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Well, so, it's all about timeliness too, because it got canceled and then suddenly everyone did like it, and then they had enough uh, guts to make it into a movie. And I think they're going to make another one. They probably are. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. how those things work. And the biddies are doing the theme of that. Oh, movie. you're killing me. <laughs> So what have you got to say that I can interrupt? Um, I saw a film at the MWPAI, the Munson Williams Proctor Arts Institute. I went on Wednesday, which is really weird for me. Usually I go on Fridays, except Friday I was preoccupied at the Biddy's show. <laughs> so I went to see Capote on Wednesday night. And, you know, we all have heard about this film. Philip uh, Seymour Hoffman won the best actor for his performance of Mr. Truman Capote. And I went to it kind of as to learn about Truman Capote. I didn't know if it was a purely a biographical piece. I didn't know how deeply into the process of his writing the In Cold Blood book the film was going to be, because that's really what it was about. It was about his his process of going to Kansas and the years of talking to the inmates in prison who had who had done the murder. And I don't know if any of it's true, though, because I don't know that much biographical information about Truman Capote. I don't know. I mean, they certainly portrayed him as an opportunist and going so far again, I'm not sure if it's true, but going so far as to providing and paying for counsel for these guys so that they wouldn't get on death row too quickly. So he could continue to interview them and, uh, for the process of making the book. Amazing piece of work, though. I mean, Hoffman is brilliant as he's been in everything. He totally deserved the, uh, the actually everybody in that category this year deserved the Academy mm-hmm. Award. Sometimes you can say that sometimes, but usually there's one standout. And obviously he was a standout because he won. But I mean, who else was in best male actor this year? I mean, uh, the guy who played um, uh, the guy from Good Night and Good Luck. And, you know, there were a lot of uh, a lot of amazing performances. Uh, guy from uh, Joaquin Phoenix from Walk the Line. Mm-hmm. The guy from Crash. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was actually a pretty good year for film. Yeah, and it was an amazing year for film. And uh, Ebert and Roper talked about that themselves. They said something like, even if we completely got rid of the top tens that we just created, we could make another group of top tens from the remaining films that are stronger or as strong as most other years, you know? Mm-hmm. It was a great uh, year for film. I'm not going to say too much more about Capote. Philip Seymour Hoffman's great. It's an interesting piece of literature history, you know, because he was sort of like the the world's, or at least America's first celebrity writer, you know, partly because he did this thing in the age of television. And I mean, even on the fringes of um, my most distant memories, I remember seeing him on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. But even more, more recent in my memory are like Rich Little's impressions of him. I remember seeing him do him on Carson like crazy. And even then I was like, who is this? Weird diminutive man with the the strange voice and the flamboyance. The, the flamboyance, yeah, and it was really funny. There's a really great scene in there. Chris Cooper is in the film. He plays like the police chief or the police detective of that Kansas town where the murder was committed, and we all know Chris Cooper. Because, Another Oscar winner. Uh, Chris Cooper won an Oscar. Yeah, for what? I think he won it for adaptation. Really? Yeah. Well, he's in so many things that I like. He was in October Sky, and mm-hmm. what was the film with? Um, oh. God, I can't think of his name. Uh, anyway, I don't know. Um, so Chris Cooper's in it, and uh, Capote shows up in town, and he's wearing this, you know, what is obviously a very expensive full-length wool coat and this very fancy scarf. And everybody in this little Kansas town where they, you know, buy their clothes at the Five and Dime is, like, kind of staring at him. And he <laughs> thinks they're imp- like, ooh, look at his cool clothes. So he points to his scarf and goes, Bergdorf. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> like they actually care. It was really funny. And then as Chris Cooper was leaving the scene, he pointed to his hat and went Sears and Robux. <laughs> but anyway, it really is a remarkable piece of work about an interesting uh, era in sort of American literary history in this whole uh, Truman Capote guy. And I wonder how many books they're selling. I wonder how many copies of In Cold Blood they printed in anticipation of this film coming out. Because I got to think they're selling hundreds of thousands of these books again, you know, the, oh, amount, know. Of, the amount of interest this movie uh, created. And it is a great piece of work, and I, I really do recommend it. What kind of makes me sick about that whole movie book tie-in is if there's a book that's been out there for years, I mean, even when The Lord of the Rings came out in film, you go to the, the bookstore and you see The Lord of the Rings, the original Lord of the Rings, or now In Cold Blood, and on the cover is the actors who played the the people in the in the films right and they'll say from the motion uh, major motion picture they won't say you know the book that you've been looking for right and well it's killing me isn't that you know american marketing there you go i don't know anyway we're not done are we this is like the shorter show we've done in a while you know we keep wanting to talk about it was my pleasure to interrupt you (laughs) (laughs) we keep wanting to talk about that troublemaker phil zimmerman and this new piece of software he's got out now but i guess we'll do it next week yeah voip Yes, VoIP. Anyway, remember, you've been listening to Biddy Cat, the Bloodthirsty Vegetarians, and this is Rich. And this is John. You can check out the blog at www.bloodyveg.com or biddiesforever.com. Send us feedback and tell Rich to stop. <laughs> feedback at bloodyveg.com. And we will, of course, route all of your biddies fan mail to them. <laughs> if you send cash, we'll keep it. But I mean, other That's than right. that, yeah. And, uh, yeah, definitely check out the biddies. They're the bomb. And hopefully, uh, Amanda, you're listening to the show. And remember, you're listening to VIB. VIB.